Starting the book of Exodus. Amen this morning. Amen. We had a goal to go through the Bible in about a year and we're not doing very well, are we? <laughs> we got through the first book in the Bible and the year's almost over. But that's okay. I'm moving. This, I'm really moving fast, and uh, but we won't finish it in a year. Maybe five years. We'll see. We'll see what the Lord's will is. Okay. <clears throat> Book of Exodus. If you have it, say praise the Lord. <clears throat> Exodus chapter one, beginning with verse one. Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob. And then he begins to list the names, so on and so forth. And then verse 5, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them." Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Amen. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Lord willing, this morning we'll go through the second chapter of the book of Exodus, uh, verse 8. Okay? The scripture gives us the background we have here connecting us to the book of Genesis where we have Israel is now located in Egypt instead of the land of Canaan. Now, we would not know why they were there if we didn't have the book of Genesis. The reason why they are there is because a famine came into the land by the will of God and then Joseph invited his family up to Egypt and so they came into Egypt and that's why they're there. So, book of Genesis explains why they're there as we move into the book of Exodus. The scripture begins by telling us how many of the souls that were in Egypt, a total of 70, uh, including Joseph, came out of the loins of Jacob, and they were in Egypt, 70. Now, you need to realize that the 70 souls that are enumerated do not include the women or the children. So, there was actually more than 70 that went up into the land of Egypt. And so that's how they got there. And the Bible gives us the number of the souls that were there. Then we see in verse 6, Joseph dies and all his generation dies, that generation, which sets the stage for the book of Exodus. Brings us to verse 7, the children of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mightily, and the land was filled with them. And by the time we get to that statement, the nation of Israel has increased from a little over 70 people to 2 to 6 million people. Now, the way that calculation is arrived at is when you study the book of Numbers, so on and so forth, there's about 600,000 men, 20 years and above, 600,000 of them that, may, that begin to uh, come out of Egypt in the time of the Exodus. So if you take 600,000 men, 20 years and above, and you add women and children to that, it's a very conservative estimate that two to three million 
Israelites were in the land of Egypt. So they have grown from 70, a little over 70 people, just as God said they would, to a huge multitude of over 2 to 3 million, maybe even more than that, people in the land of Egypt. So that brings us, it gives us the setting, the background. Why is there going to be an exodus? The Scripture tells us they've increased abundantly, they've multiplied, they waxed exceedingly mightily, and the land was filled with them. Verse 8, Now there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Now this king, he's called the king, he's a Pharaoh. The Bible doesn't even call him by name here. It just says a new king rose up, uh, and this king did not know Joseph. And the fact that he did not know Joseph was going to bring about the destruction of the land of Egypt. See, the person he should have known, the person this king, this Pharaoh should have known, was Joseph. Because he did not put value, proper value on Joseph, will eventually mean the destruction of a whole nation. Now, let me begin by saying this to you that you may know a thousand things, but if you don't know what is important spiritually, if you don't put value on what God puts value upon, it can cause the destruction, in this case, of a whole nation and maybe the destruction of your family. And I'm just telling you this day, we live in a nation right now, they... You know, the leaders of this nation, they know a lot of things. But they don't put value on the right people or the right things. They don't put value on spiritual things. And that's what brings the destruction or the judgments of God upon a people. Because they do not put value on the proper things. The prophet Hosea said this in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. He said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That doesn't mean that the people of God don't know anything. The people of God know a million things. They know a thousand things, whatever. But what is important is a knowledge of God and the ways of God and what God puts value on will save people from destruction. My people, Jesus, God said this, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They lack spiritual knowledge and wisdom. And because of that, it's bringing destruction. Now, I don't want to be destroyed, and I don't think you want to be destroyed. So it's very important for us to put value on the right things and to have a knowledge of the right things. And the fact that the Bible says this king did not know Joseph was the very reason why this nation would be destroyed. If people are destroyed, it is because they lack a knowledge. They lack a knowledge of God. They lack a knowledge of of spiritual things. They lack a knowledge of the ways of God. They don't put value on the proper people of God in their life. And as a result of that, it will bring destruction to you. Amen. So when you start living, you need to realize to put value and importance on the right thing, especially, especially Jesus Christ. If you do not value Jesus Christ in your life, if you do not have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it will have eternal consequences to you. There will be a deficiency in your life 
And that deficiency in your life will bring your eternal damnation and destruction. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I must put value on Jesus Christ. Amen. I must have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ or that deficiency will cause me eternal consequences. And a lot of people today, because they don't know the Lord Jesus and because they don't live for Him and they don't put value on Him or, or His Word, can you imagine going into eternity without God? Can you imagine what it would be like to go into a place called hell because you did not put value on Jesus Christ and did not seek knowledge of Him for eternal life? And to find out when you stand before Him, when He looks at you and He says, I don't know you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You didn't know me. You didn't love me. You didn't put value on a relationship with me. And so there will come a time when God will look at that person and says, I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Can you imagine what that must feel like to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and hear those words, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, and to be cast by the angels of God into eternity. Can you imagine what it would be like to be flying through the air and knowing that you're fixing to land in the lake of fire and you will be there forever and ever and ever? Can you imagine what that'd be like? There are times even in my own life, I'll just sit there. Sometimes I, I, the other day I was eating with my wife and I just sit there and I thought about it. What if I went to hell? What would it be like if I went to hell. And just the thought as I pondered and I thought about the possibility of, of being in that place called the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Just pondering that thought caused me to cringe. I haven't made it to heaven. You haven't made it to heaven. And for you to start to have a deficiency in your life which is a lack of knowledge which will bring destruction to your soul is something that you need to think about. Because I haven't made it to heaven and you haven't made it into heaven. We live in a body of death. Paul said it this way, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. He's the only one that's going to deliver me from this body of this death. And I think it's good not just for me, but I think it's good for everybody in this church to contemplate the possibility that we might end up in the lake of fire. Because we have a deficiency in our life. Not proper knowledge, a lack of knowledge of Jesus Christ, a lack of preparation, and a lack of putting value on the right things and the right people in our life. How many of y'all value the Word of God this morning? I believe as I look out today and I see this congregation, I believe that you do care. Because you wouldn't be here this morning, I don't think, I don't think you would be in this service this morning if you didn't care about eternity. I don't think you'd be here this morning hearing this word preached if you did not care about where you're going to spend eternity. 
And the fact that this king did not know Joseph was a great deficiency that would bring destruction on his nation. The judgments of God Almighty. And so as, as I ponder those things, I know I haven't made it yet. And, and you know, until I hear the Lord say to me, enter in to the joy of thy Lord, thy good and faithful servant. Until I hear that with my ears, I must fight, I must keep praying, I must stay where I need to be as a person in the things of God. I must stay humble and not let pride get a hold of me. I've got to, are y'all with me here today? I've got to seek the Word of God. I've got to seek my God in prayer. I've got to have a relationship with Him because I would rather have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And we are living in a generation that is so lax so lax it's going to bring a deficiency in their life that's going to have eternal consequences make sure that you put the proper value on the Lord Jesus Christ in your life that you should make sure you put proper value of the word of God in your life have any of you even spent time reading his word this week have you spent time in prayer this week have you sought God because you know that you can't have a deficiency when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word? You know how important it is. Amen. I know how important it is. And you might think, well, Pastor, you're not going to go into hell. Why do you think like that? Because I have to live in reality. And so many people in this hour don't live in reality. They don't have reality checks. They're lax. They're loose. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're not a born-again believer, I want you to contemplate the Word of the Lord. And I can't convict you. Only God's Word can convict you. Only His Spirit can convict you. I can't do that. Only God can. But as I preach the Word of God to you, God forbid that there's anybody in this church this morning that's going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. They will find out on Judgment Day there was a deficiency in their life. I think about those five wise and five foolish virgins, you know. A total of ten virgins the Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 25. Five were wise, five were foolish. The five wise virgins made sure they had plenty of oil. The five foolish virgins had oil to begin with. But they ran out of oil in the end. And because when they ran out of oil in the end, that's when the Lord came back when they ran out. There was a deficiency of oil in their life. And the Lord came back. And the five wise virgins who made sure that they had plenty oil in their lamps, enough oil to make it all the way through the end times, they were allowed to go into the bridal chamber. And the Bible says the door was shut and those other five virgins that had oil at the beginning but did not maintain oil in their vessels began to knock on that door. But it was too late for them. What that tells me is this, is that you and I can begin with oil in our vessels. 
But if we don't maintain that oil, if we don't make sure that we're full of oil in our vessels, there's going to come a time when the bridegroom's going to return and those wise virgins are going to go in because they don't have a deficiency in their life. But those people that have deficiencies in their life of oil will not be allowed to go in. So I don't want a deficiency in my life that's going to bar me from the presence of the bridegroom. Amen. That's why I keep coming to church. That's why I keep coming. To, that's why I pray. That's why I, I stay in the Word of God. That's why I humble myself. That's why I position myself to know Him. Because I don't want that deficiency in my life. I don't want to find out on Judgment Day that I needed something and I didn't have it. I'd rather need it and not have it than to have it and not need it. So I'm admonishing you by the Holy Ghost this morning. Make sure you put the proper value on your walk. Make sure that you've got plenty of oil in your vessel. Make sure there's no deficiency in your life. Don't find out too late that you were lacking. That's not to find out. That's not the time to find out that you're lacking when it's too late. It's important because God cares about all of us. It's important for us to Him, Him come and warn us and to help us and to intervene on our behalf and to say, you know what? You're lacking in this area. You've got a deficiency in this area of your life. You better do something with it because that deficiency can cause destruction to come upon a nation. It will cause the destruction of the United States of America. The judgment of God will come upon this nation and it will come upon this nation because there is a lack of knowledge. There's deficiency. Amen. God help me. God help you. Jesus said my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You and I start getting complacent. We start getting lax. Those things are deficiencies in our life that could cause us to be lost forever. And if not cause to be, uh, cause to be lost forever, cause for destruction in my life in the present. How many of y'all thank God for His help? And you shutting me out and shutting me off and you know doing your little thing that you do is not going to help you. I know I need God. I know I need Him. And I look to Him and I humble myself, praise God. And, and hallelujah, thank God for what He does. Because I will say it again. Verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. A new king. He did not look at the church the way that the other Pharaoh looked at the church. That other Pharaoh that knew Joseph, that knew he was a man of God, that other Pharaoh that exalted him and allowed him to prepare enough food to save the world is now dead. And this new Pharaoh has risen up. And this new Pharaoh doesn't have the appreciation for the church, for Joseph, that the old Pharaoh did. He doesn't look at the church with respect. He doesn't honor who he should be honoring in his life. And so as a result of that, the judgments of God will fall upon his kingdom. 
Verse 9, the Bible says, And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. This is going to be his, first of all, his motive to try to destroy the people of Israel. Which ultimately is going to bring the judgment of God and uh, bring the exodus of the people of God out of Egypt. What is he thinking? What is this new king that doesn't know Joseph? What's going on in his mind? Well, he begins to say this. He said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. His motive to seek to destroy them, number one was, they're outnumbering us. There's more of them than there are of us. Well, I highly doubt that statement. I highly doubt that there were more people Israelites numerically than Egyptians in the land of Egypt. But you see, that was his excuse. This is what he told the people. He told the people of Egypt, we've got to do something with Israel. We've got to do something with the Israelites because they're just, there's just too many of them. They're, they're growing. They're multiplying. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was an excuse. That fear of more. The fear of these people outnumbering their own people was motivating this Pharaoh, even though I believe it was just an excuse that he was using. Amen. He was being used by the devil. The second thing is, he says, the fear of being mightier than we. He told his nation, he said, these people are outnumbering us. The fear of more, the second fear was the fear of power. They have too much influence in our nation. They have too much power in our nation. So we've got to do something with these people, these Israelites, because they're mightier than us. They have too much power and too much influence. See, that's the way the devil works. He'll come to you and he'll tell you that church has too much power. That church has too much authority. That church has too much influence. Do you understand? My question is, is that even real? Do these Israelites that are in the land of Egypt, do they really have more might, more power than Egypt? Are they more powerful than the Egyptian army? Probably a big question mark on that. But that's the way the enemy planned his plan. It was accusations that these people have too much power. These people have too much influence. So we've got to do something about that. How many times the enemy's ever come to you and spoke into your ear? You know, that church has got too much power. That pastor has too much power. There's too much... You understand what I'm saying? Just put a big old question mark by that. Is that real? Is that real? Or is that the enemy's plan to destroy? See, even look at little the nation of Israel today. You watch the strategy. You watch the strategy. I've already preached to you a few weeks ago about the coming invasion of Russia into the Middle East. And what did I tell you to look for? I told you to look for an Iranian leader getting together with the Russian leader in an arms deal. 
And it hasn't been but a few weeks that that exact thing happened. I told you to look for it on the news and that's exactly what happened. After I preached it, a Russian leader and an Iranian leader got together even against the law and discussed an arms deal. The nations of the world right now are y'all here? Did you hear what I said? I told you to look for that by the Word of God, not because I'm a prophet, but by the Word of God I told you what to look for, and it happened. You are living in the last days, church. This is no time to be deficient. It's no time to be lukewarm. It's no time to be backslidden. It's no time to be out of the will of God. It's time for the church to wake up. The world is getting together right now. And they're planning plans for the destruction of the nation of Israel. Just like they did back there in the days of Pharaoh. Using the excuse, well, you know, they're growing, they're multiplying, they're getting bigger. And today, would, if you can hear this, today people blame Israel or point a finger at Israel. And they make statements like Israel is in control of our government. Israel is in control of our government. Is that true? Is Israel really, really in control of our government? No, I do not believe that Israel is in control of our government. But what I'm telling you today is these very things that the enemy used to try to destroy Israel in the Old Testament, he's going to try them again. They've got too much power. They've got too much influence in the world. And the Bible says Israel in the last days will become a burden stone to all nations. That includes the United States of America. And that's going to bring the judgments of God in the end times upon the world. See, the way the church handles Israel, the way the world handles Israel, Israel is God's time clock. And what the nations of the world do with Israel right now and what they're planning to do with Israel right now is setting the stage for the soon judgment of God. The same types of judgments that fell upon Egypt in the Old Testament are about to fall upon this world. Israel is God's time clock. Because our nation is not putting the proper value and it, because it lacks knowledge. It is precipitating the judgments of God to fall. I'm glad I'm in the church. I said, I'm glad I'm in the church. Well, what you have to see is, you know, when I was a young, young preacher, before I ever started pastoring a church, the pastor that I was under... Uh, asked me and a, three other men to preach in a youth conference. And so I didn't know what to preach. I was young in the ministry and didn't really know what to say, what to preach, but and you know, I was scared to death as well. And I just went to God and asked God, what do you want me to say? And one of the things I remember saying, this is years and years ago before I ever started pastoring, as I stood before those people in that youth conference, I said this, I said, what you see happening in the natural in Israel is, is the way the enemy is attacking the church in the spiritual. They are mirrors. So if you see the world starting to plan plans to destroy Israel, 
there's a, a plan in the Spirit by the enemy to also destroy the church. Fingers will be pointed at the church. There's just too many Christians. They've got too much power and too much influence. We've got to do something about these people. And so what this king did was he put the church in slavery. So let me continue to show you his other excuses. He said, come on, let us deal wisely with them lest they what? Multiply. And come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they shall join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them out of the land. If war does hit our land, Israel will join with our enemies and fight against us and then leave. And we don't want them to leave. We want to keep them right here. You study the way that the enemy has attacked the nation of Israel in history and you will see that once they got in a land, the people didn't want them to leave. They didn't want them to immigrate. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so this Pharaoh is coming up with another excuse. Come on, let us deal wisely. You notice the term he uses? He calls it wisdom. He uses nice speech. Wisdom. The Hebrew word means crafty. Had nothing to do with the wisdom of God. It was about being crafty. But he calls it wisdom. That's the way the enemy works. He comes and he speaks nice words. I've been around a long, uh, long enough to know when I'm listening even to a saint talk what spirit is motivating that conversation. Because oftentimes they will cloak their, their craftiness with sweet conversation. This man right here, it wasn't wisdom. Wisdom is from God. What he was doing was crafty. It was deceptive. It was to trick the nation in uh, Egypt to go against Israel. Praise the Lord. Important, isn't it? To understand it. But he said, they're going to go to war against us and they're going to join our enemies. They're going to fight against us and so get them up. And then they're going to leave the land. We can't have that. We can't have that. But all of this is motivated by that verse 8. There rose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. The failure, the deficiency is what motivated him to be deceived into thinking because they were too many or too mighty, he said, or because they're multiplying, because war will start, they'll fight against us, or they will leave us. These were his motivations for destruction. The Bible continues and it says, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. They put them in slavery. They put Israel in slavery. They put the church in slavery. And they put over the church hard taskmasters that ruled over them and, and made them labor. It was hard labor, church. 
the conditions would have been difficult enough to go out and work all day long in the hot heat of Egypt. To go out there and labor under that hot sun, the conditions were hard enough. But on top of their being enslaved and having to labor under that hot sun from day to day, the taskmasters were placed over them to crush them, to, to smite them, to whip them. It was not just slavery. It was not just service. It wasn't just hard labor. It was affliction. They were being crushed by the taskmasters. Amen. Spiritual application. I don't see anybody right now being taken and made a slave of today physically, but in the Spirit, that's exactly what Pharaoh wants to do in your life. He wants to make you a slave. He wants to make me a slave. And He wants to crush me. He wants to smite you. He wants to smite me. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. And as they were laboring under this hard, cruel oppression, the Bible says they built for Pharaoh treasured cities, Python and Ramesses. What was their hard labor for? What was their slavery for? So they could build the kingdoms or the kingdom of this king. What was his motivation? His motivation is, I'm going to let you build my kingdom so that when people look at these cities that you're building, they will think that I'm a great king. The motivation for them being enslaved was so that they would serve the king to build his own kingdom to make him look good. How many people today are motivated by that very thing? Their whole life is motivated based on what they look like. Building their own kingdom so that they'll look good. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it even though I hate to say it. There are preachers today, even in this city, that their building programs are all about show. It's all about making themselves look good and great. It's not about building the kingdom of God. It's about building their own kingdoms. Amen? If it wasn't about building their own kingdoms, they wouldn't leech off of other churches that preach the truth. Saints of God that are in those churches. What's it about? It's about building their own kingdoms. It's about appearances. It's about show. It's about who has the biggest church, who has the best choir, who has the best program. I've been around a while. I know how these things work. And God doesn't put His approval on something like that. I am not in this for the show. I'm not in this for the show. And I'm not jealous at all. I'm just telling you the truth. You have to have the right motive in your life for why you do what you do. If you're just doing what you do so you can be seen and, and be looked at as important, your kingdom is about to be destroyed. 
If the building up of your kingdom or what you do in life is simply about your ego and your pride, your kingdom will not stand. His motive to enslave these people was so that he would look good. God help anybody in this church that I'm preaching to this morning that the thing that motivates you in life is how you look. How you look in the eyes of people is more important to you than how you look in the eyes of God Almighty. No, it should be the other way around. How do I look in the eyes of God Almighty? And it might bring a cross. It might bring shame. You might look, be looked at with contempt. You might be despised. But that's all right. If the Lord looks at you and He's pleased with you, that's what's important. But so many people today, so full of pride, all they can think about is, well, how am I going to look? Who cares how you look? What matters is how does Jesus look? How does Jesus look in my life? What's my motivation? The reason why this king did what he did was so his kingdom could get built up so that he would look good. You've got leaders like that even in government today. All they do, they lead based on how do they look to the world. They make decisions based on how they look to the world. And some of those decisions are going to bring the destruction. If we don't have a change in leadership by the grace of God, amen, do you understand what I'm saying? If we don't have a good change in leadership by the grace of God, Leadership that all they can think about is how they appear to the world is going to bring the destruction of our country. But I'm, I'm praying to God and I'm trusting God for a good change in leadership. I'm praying for leadership in the government. I'm praying for leadership in the church. I'm praying for leadership in this church. That it's all about the Lord. That that's what drives them. That's what motivates them is Jesus Christ. Who cares what you look like in the eyes of man as long as you have the approval and the favor of God Almighty. Amen? And you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people's motives are simply to build their own kingdoms so that they can look good to the world. God has blessed your life. That's wonderful. Thank God for it. But what was your motivation? That's what's important. You know that drives business, don't you? That drives the business world. You look at where you work even, where you work. What drives that business? Well, you say it's money. A lot of it has to do with how do we look? We're building our kingdoms. It's making us look good. That's why I'm going to be honest with you, man. It's good to have goals and everything in business. That's, that's appropriate biblically even. But if what motivates you is numbers only so that you can look good, you have already been ensnared by the devil. That's what motivated this man to enslave these people so that His kingdom would be built and so He would look good.
So his name would go down in history as one of the great dynasties or one of the great pharaohs of Egypt. Amen? Any church that builds itself based on things that are not biblical, they don't base it on the Lord Jesus Christ. They just base it on numbers and, and programs and how many buildings we can build. is a church that doesn't have the favor of God on it. Because you've taken a church and turned it into a crowd. You're supposed to take a crowd and turn it into a church. And I know men that compromise that word. This word of God. They compromise this word of God. They're charismatic. They compromise with this word of God. So they can have numbers. You start compromising the word of God. Compromise preaching the Word of God so you can have numbers to build your own kingdom, you will stand before God on Judgment Day and give an account for that. You have to continue to be right with God, pure in your motives before the Lord. Hallelujah. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And churches that are built on improper foundations so that they can be seen, so it makes them look good is a church that's going to be shaken. I want to build it on the things of God. I want to build it on the Word of God. That's why this church is called Bible Center Fellowship. It's always been called that because we want to build the church of, of the living God based on the Word of God. Amen? So he could look good. They built for Pharaoh treasured cities of Python and Ramesses. Verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. You know, even the psalmist says this, It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes, Brother Jonathan. See, that man knew, says, that's, you know, People, a lot of times they go through afflictions, they start getting all depressed and discouraged and everything. No, it's good if you're afflicted because when you're afflicted, that's when you learn the statutes of the Word of God. And every time the devil would try to come and destroy the church, you, you look at church history, even going back to the day of Pentecost, look at church history. Every time the devil tried to put the church out by persecution, you know what happened? He just spread the fire. He spread the gospel. He'll have a Stephen martyred and stoned to death. And out of the ashes of the stoning of, of Stephen rises a Paul. Every time the enemy has ever tried to destroy the church, all he did was cause it to spread and to grow. You'd think he'd wise up after a while. Amen? I mean, he's tried to destroy this church through the years. Tried to shut the doors of this church through the years. But you know what? God just kept adding to the church. And I can tell you as your pastor, oftentimes the affliction and the difficulties that come to us as a church and all of those things, you know, that we have to fight and battle with. Sometimes you get so tired and you get so weary and in, in not in serving God, but you know how it is. You don't get weary of serving God, but you get weary in the work sometimes. And 
And no matter how much affliction comes, God keeps adding to the church. And the church keeps growing. And one family will get, you know, get something going on and they leave. You know what God does? He brings a bunch more families. So don't ever think that you know if you yield to the enemy and you leave that the church is going to shut down because you left. No. God is going to keep adding to the church. See, and I don't walk around with, a, with this pride and this ego to think that I'm the man. I know that if I... if Listen to me. I know if I quit, the church of the living God would keep growing. It would keep going. I don't have an ego driving me. Give the Lord praise in the house. That's why I can pastor like I pastor. I don't care who gets the credit. I don't care if he gets the credit. I don't care if any other minister in the church gets the credit. I don't care if you get the credit. I don't care if the Sunday school credit, teachers get the credit. I don't care if the choir director gets the credit. I don't care. I don't care anything about who gets the credit. It's about the kingdom of God. Amen. So when affliction comes, that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to come and afflict us and wear us out, discourage us. All he's causing is the expansion of the kingdom of God. And you're either going to make up your mind to be a part of it, or you're going to, or you're going to yield to his tactics, and you're going to give in to his plans, and you're going to give up. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. The good thing about, you know, pastoring a church from the ground up is that when you start with one or two people, amen, when we started this church, we had a total of two, if you count my wife and me, four. And we started in our, in our house with two people. Amen. One of them was Sister Sonia House. She's back there right now. She's still in the house of God. She's still in the same church. And, you know, so the good thing about it is, if you start a church in your own house and you only got two saints, you really don't care how many people you pastor after that because, you know, normally you're going to have more than two. So I'm not trying to run anybody off, but I'm just telling you, you won't get me with that one because we've got more than two today. So if you leave, I say, all right, bye-bye. God bless your heart. It's not going to affect the church. The church is going to keep growing. The Bible says as they were afflicted, they just kept on multiplying. They just kept on growing. Give God the praise. Now, if I came in here and it was already a ready-made church, you know, with 100 people, and then it went down to 50, it might get me. It might get me. But if you start with two and you got three, you got more than you started with. You're not going to use that one on me, honey, child, juicy fruit, chocolate cake. It won't work. I've seen God, and I don't say that pridefully or arrogantly, but I've just seen God through the years. As we go through very, very difficult times as a church, God starts increasing. And why is that? Maybe it's because I needed to grow. Maybe it's the church needed to grow inside. They needed some character. They needed something, something on, they need some iron in their blood. 
And when you're afflicted, that's when the Bible says you can learn the statutes of God. If everything's wonderful with you all the time, you don't care. Are y'all with me today? So I'm just going to tell you, don't try that one on me. I'll just say, okay, God bless your heart. See you later. Bring them on in, God. Amen? Amen. Because there's so many people today that they have that motivation, they have that idea, well, if I leave, the whole thing's going to collapse. And they'll drive by the church to see how many cars are parked in the parking lot. You know? I left the church. Let's go see how many people are there now. And they drive by in the parking lots packed like it never was before. You know that's got to hit them right between that prideful spirit. This is God's church. This isn't Pastor Carter's church. This isn't my church. This is God's church. The devil can't stop God's church. He can't stop God. He can't control God. We're on the offense. We're running through His gates into eternal life. His gates can't prevail against the church of the living God. He can plan His plans and devise His methods. and God's going to keep increasing His church. Because this belongs to God. How many of y'all believe that? Say, I want you to help me preach. Say, this church belongs to God. This, this church doesn't belong to pastor. This church belongs to God. And we're going to do it God's way whether you like it or not. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Because I learned one thing a long time ago. God told me, He said, don't, don't preach based on the, the, you know, the way the people give you attitudes or the way they like it or they don't like it. You just preach the Word of God just like it is. Because if you build a church... You know, based on the fact that you're always afraid about what you're going to say. You're always always screening what you're going to say because you're afraid somebody's going to get mad and leave. You don't have them anyway. People like that are not going to be with you anyway. They're not for real anyway. So you might as well preach the Word of God just like it is. And you might as well preach it real. And you'll find out who's real and who's not real with time. It has to be built on God. It has to be built on His foundation. Y'all believe that? If you do, say praise the Lord. So you got to make up your mind this morning either to get in or to get out. You can't be neutral when it comes to God. If, hallelujah. If, if you're not for Him, you're against Him. you got to make up your mind where you are today. I'm with the Lord. I'm on the Lord's side. Using witchcraft and attitudes and spirits against the ministry. That's not going to get you anywhere but death. You might as well just say yes to Jesus. You might as well get in this thing and fight the good fight of faith. How many of y'all want to do that? And I believe that there's some people here today that they want to live for God. They want reality. They don't want somebody that's walking on, so to speak, eggshells. Always worried about what somebody's going to think. No. This belongs to God. Say amen. If God wants to take me out, He can take me out. If God's got some better, somebody better to take my place, I'll be the first one to say, Go ahead, God. And I mean that with all my heart. Brother Edmonds has the same attitude about pastoring in Taiwan. 
He's told those people. He said, if there's somebody who can do it better than me, he said, I'll, I'll step aside. He means that. I'm not going anywhere if you're afraid of that. But I'm just telling you, I mean that with all my heart. If somebody can pastor you better, then by all means, that's fine with me. Praise God. Are y'all okay? That's the attitude you've got to have. Are you building it for God's kingdom? Are you building it for your own kingdom? Are you building it so you can look good? Are you trying to make Him look good? Are you trying to honor Him? Are you trying to honor yourself? Give God some praise in the house. But when you serve the Lord, at times the affliction is going to come. Difficulties are going to come. Jesus said this, that through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say it was going to be an easy road. He didn't say it was going to be an easy street. There will be times when the enemy will try to put you in bondage and afflict you to try to destroy you. But remember God. He's never succeeded. The church is still in the world today. He has never succeeded. Won't you get in something that's going to win in the end? Won't you get in the kingdom of God and help fight? Hallelujah. Because I want you to know we're on the winning side. The devil's the loser. And the more he tries to afflict you, isn't it amazing? He thought you he had your number. He thought, well, if I do this to them, they'll quit. You're still here. Well, then I'll try this. I'll try this on them. I'll afflict them with this and see if they'll quit. You're still here. You know, it's just a really amazing just how much strength the people of God really have. But you won't know it until you've been tested by affliction just how strong you are. How many of y'all can say amen to what I'm preaching this morning? The devil, the devil thought he had your number, but he didn't have. You're still here. Hallelujah. You're still fighting the good fight of faith. You haven't laid down your weapons. You haven't become passive in a pew. You're still fighting the good fight of faith. He thought he had you, but he didn't. So the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. The word grieved doesn't mean that they were, you know, sorrowful. It means they despised Israel. Despised them. If you don't respect the church, you will eventually despise the church. Because this king did not know Joseph. He didn't respect Joseph. He didn't re respect the people of God. He didn't respect the church. Because of that, now he despises the church. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Am I helping anybody? I'm trying to bless you. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to bless you. Let me just be real with you this morning. If you ever get to a place where you stop respecting the church, eventually you will despise the church. If you ever get to a place where you stop rejecting God, or stop respecting God, then you will eventually despise Him. People that don't respect God eventually despise God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the word grieved here means despised. They despised the children of Israel. How many of y'all respect God? How many of you respect the church? 
If you don't, you will end up despising the church and despising God. You'll stop hating it. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of times when people first get in the church, man, they're so excited about being in the church and they can't wait to go to church and they can't, and they don't want to leave when they get there. And then pretty soon they start losing their respect for the things of God. They don't want to go to church. They don't enjoy being in church. They don't want to stay in church. And pretty soon they start hating the church. That will set the judgment of God upon a nation. When it disrespects God and disrespects His church, it will be despised and eventually the judgments of God will fall upon the powers of Egypt. The Bible goes on and tells us, if you're still with me, verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. Again, that word rigor means with just to crush them. It wasn't enough that they were in bondage. Now they're inflicting pain. This is the pain in their bondage. This is pain in their slavery with rigor. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. And their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Again, that word means to crush them. It was painful. Verse 15, Now, the king placing them in slavery and bondage, they just kept growing and multiplying and getting bigger. He didn't succeed. So the next step is kill them. The next step is slay them or murder them. Now the persecution is raised to another level. It's not just enslaving the people, but now we're going to kill them. We're going to murder them. Amen? And you know that the enemy tried this on the Jewish people during the times of war and the Holocaust. Tried to destroy them by killing them. Amen? So the king spake to the Hebrew midwives of which the name of one, and I'll get to that in just a moment, but I want you to think about it, okay? I pray to God I'm not boring you, but I don't have anything but the Word of God to give you. I don't have clowns or monkeys. Not that you want. Okay. When Pharaoh spoke, it was law. He was the law of the land. Pharaoh, the, the Pharaohs were looked at as gods. They were they they believed, Egyptians believed that their Pharaohs came from heaven down to the earth. And that these Pharaohs were gods. And when that Pharaoh made a statement, it was the law of the land. And so what he does is he makes the law of the land to support evil. Because it was law when he made the statement. And what did he do? He said, we're going to kill him and kill every male baby that's born. Kill him. It's the law of the land. 
to kill these babies. When a country or a nation seeks to support evil by laws, they are committing suicide. They are bringing the judgments of God upon that nation. We recently have a court system, the Supreme Court, that legalized homosexual marriage for the nation. Our court system, years and years ago, legalized the murder of the unborn. Legalized abortion. And I hear politicians today, even some who claim to be conservative that are running for the presidency of the United States, they make such stupid, I'll be honest with you, stupid statements. Well, it's the law of the land. And because it's the law of the land, I accept it. I sit there and cringe. And I hear people that are supposed to be conservatives clapping their hands as this one particular uh, individual declared, well, it's the law of the land and we just need to love everybody unconditionally and we need to show them respect. I'm going, where is God in this? Just because the law supports evil doesn't mean... Uh, it's the right thing. In fact, it's the wrong thing in the eyes of God. And it's ultimately going to bring the judgment of God on the United States of America. Because when a, a court system supports evil by law, it sets this, this, this really the suicide for the nation. And I said that as soon as I heard the law court, Supreme Court passed and legalized homosexuality for the United States of America, to bringing the judgments of God upon this nation right now. You better pray to God for a different ruler. You better pray to God for a different leader. Somebody that will reverse these laws that go against the Word of God. Laws that support evil eventually bring the destruction of the nation. God is looking at it. And when this king made that declaration, we're going to kill all of these boy babies. It was the law of the land supporting evil. And it would be the thing that would bring the judgments of God upon that nation. Now I want you to see how God looks at it. We've got the law in the land supporting that which is evil. How did God look at that? What did God want from His people? Did He want them just to go along to get along? Did He want them just to accept it because it's now the law of the land? How did God want His people to respond to a law system that promotes and supports evil? Look at it. The Bible says here, when the king of Egypt, he spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shephar, Shephar, and the name of the other was Pua. Now remember, the king, 
That's probably not the way you pronounce it, but that's as close as I can get. The king is the law of the land. His word is law. When he established that law, I want you to remember this. This king is not even named in the Bible. He's supposed to be the God on planet earth that fell down from heaven and he's not even, his name is not even recorded in the Bible. That's how God looked at that Pharaoh. But there are two midwives that God puts in his Bible and he calls them by name. And the reason why he calls them by name is they refuse to obey that law. You honor God, God will honor you. And because they refused to go on, uh, go along with the law of the land, God called them by name and He did not even name that Pharaoh. Don't you ever go against the Word of God. Don't you go with public opinion. You, you don't even go with the, you don't agree with the laws, the court system, the laws. If it goes against the Bible, if it lines up with the Bible, obey the law. But if it goes against the Word of God, you have to take a stand against it. I wish Brother Heath was here this morning to share this with you, but he shared with me just the other day. He was telling me about a man. Uh, I believe that he worked for uh, a prison system, and he was a former... Brother Heath, what he told me was he was a former homosexuality. This homosexual, and that's all I have. It's just what Brother Heath told me. Former homosexual. But he got changed. He changed. He was converted. And he started telling people, the inmates, he started telling people in the prisons, he said, homosexuality is a sin. He used to be in that lifestyle, but he changed. And he was now telling people that it was wrong. And they came to him and they said, now it's the law of the land. You've got to stop telling people that homosexuality is a sin. In order for you to keep your job, you have to sign this paper that states you will no longer tell people in this prison house that homosexuality is a sin. That man says, I can't sign that paper. And he walked away from that job. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I want you to know today the enemy will try to get you to compromise with what's right and what's wrong in your life. You'll look through it. You, come on, you've got to look at it from the Word of God's perspective. Is this right or is this wrong? And that man took a stand. He said, I won't do it. He quit his job. Thank God for people that have that kind, at least that kind of conviction in their life about what is right and wrong. Now I ask you a question as you said in this church all comfortable this morning. What do you believe? Just because the law said it's legal now? You know, they legalized abortion church and when those women go to those clinics called Planned Parenthood and they walk in those clinics for abortions, those people tell them it's not going to hurt. They lie to them, church. Because the pain that many of them go through in those abortions are more painful than the labor to deliver the baby. And when they get beyond the physical pain, 
the emotional pain of aborting your child. Whether you fear God or you don't fear God, that emotional pain that comes with aborting that child. You may be a God hater, but you will have emotional pain for the rest of your life. They don't tell you that. Oh, they say it's legal. And they'll lie to you and say it doesn't hurt. It hurts. Cold-blooded murder of the unborn. From conception. That, from conception, that's a baby. It's not a glob of tissue. It's a baby from conception. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you miscarriage, that's God's way. He knows. You understand? He, you have to put your trust in God. God knows better than you know. And if you have a miscarriage, is God saying, I took it in my hands. But you don't have a right to take that into your hands. You don't have a right to play God and end the life of a child. From conception, at the moment of conception, that is a baby, not a glob of tissue. But the world is lying to the people. Just a glob of tissue, it's not even a child. No, it is a child at conception. So we see a perfect example of a man whose word was law supporting that which was evil but we've got two people that are called by name these midwives refused to obey that man that law the law of the most powerful man in the world do you know what kind of courage it took they could have went along to get along Well, it's the law. Pharaoh commanded us to do it. So we're going to kill these babies as soon as they're born. And they probably they could have tried to find a way to justify their actions because Pharaoh told me to do it, so I did it. But they didn't. And they're called by name. And they refused the Bible tells us, look at it. God honored them by calling them my name. And He said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon stools, if it be a son, then thou shalt kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives did what? Feared God. I said they feared God. Where did their courage come? Where did their strength come? To disobey the law of Pharaoh. They feared God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You can't serve God and be a coward. You can't serve God and not have courage. You gotta be, you gotta be a man of courage, a woman of courage. You gotta stem the tide. You gotta stand up against that which is right, even though the law legalizes the evil or supports it. 
And they did because they feared God. That's what God says about them. And did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively. I say amen to that. And are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. See? Now I don't condone, I don't condone the lie, but they lied. But I've already told you about it before I preached it from the Word of God. There's, there, there is a such thing as a good lie. And this was a good lie. Maybe they should have trusted God and maybe they should have approached it differently. I don't know. I'm not going to get into all those details today. Are you here right now? But I promise you, if somebody comes to my door and my children and my family are hiding under the bed and they say, are they here? You think I'm going to say, yeah, come on in. I'll show you where they are. Somebody wants to kill my wife and my children that's a part of the legal system. You think I'm just going to open the door and show them where they are? No. I'm going to protect them. Amen. And I trust God to give me wisdom. By the grace of God, somehow I could maybe handle the situation without lying. But if I had to, I would lie to save a life. What if they got, what if they, in the future, if we get to that point like this, and they capture your pastor, and I know where the church of God is. You understand? I know where you are. And they're going to say, we're going to torture you until you tell us where those people are. I say, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, these, these two women, midwives, they put their necks on the line. They put their lives on the line to disobey Pharaoh. I promise you, they were looked at as oddballs. I'm not, don't walk out of here and say, well, now I can lie. Pastor said, I can lie. I didn't say that. But I'm telling you, look, look at what God does for these women. And probably God didn't condone the lie. I'm not saying He condoned the lie. But I want to show you what He did for them. Which shows His approval. His approval. Verse 20, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mightily. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that He made them houses. You know what that means? He gave them families. They preserved families and He provided for them families. They're reaping what they sowed. See, God honored them. He honored their disobedience to the law of the land that that uh, supported evil. He honored them in what they had done. And because they protected or preserved the families of one, then they God said, okay, I'm going to give you families in return. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I'm sure they weren't sitting around thinking, well, I can't wait to see how God's going to reward me for this. No, they did it before they got a reward. 
they were faithful to God before they got a reward. And I'm, God didn't give them any promises. If you do this, I'll give this to you. They were just faithful to God based on His Word. And when they obeyed God, then the reward came, but after they obeyed God. Now you know. You might not have known before you came in here, but now you know. You've got to take a stand. And this idea that says, well, it's the law of the land now. And I always said that if it became the law of the land, that that's what we'd have to support. You're a compromiser. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying anybody that says that is a compromiser. We ought to obey God rather than men. You honor God, God will honor you. They got their name in the Bible. And they got families. Hallelujah. In verse 22, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save, shall live. <clears throat> said, okay, these midwives won't do what I tell them. They're disobeying the law. He said, all right, next step. We're going to drown the babies. And he tells everybody, all his people, do you understand, church, that when he told all his people to throw the boy babies in the river, he was, it was including Israel. Israel was commanded by law to throw those babies into the water and drown them. It was a law of the land that was not just on the unbeliever, it was on the church as well. When those boy babies were born, they were supposed to, by law, take those babies and throw them in that river. The law demanded it. What if the law gets to a place where it's enforced that you must accept homosexuality? What if the law of the land, as a church, commands a minister to perform ceremonies? What do we do? It doesn't matter if it's the law of the land or not. You have to stand with God. I said you have to stand with God. And if you break the law, then there's consequences. But I'd rather experience the consequences from man than the consequences of God from God and disobey the Lord. God bless that man that said to that prison system, I quit my job. There are people in this nation right now that have quit their jobs because they refused to do homosexual marriages. They quit their jobs. Some have been in those positions for years and years and years. Quit their jobs. Said we can't do it. But what if it becomes a law that's binding on everybody, the church included? Can't do it. They praise the Lord. There went a man of the house of Levi. And I'm going to go on down to verse 8. Amen. There went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife to a daughter of Levi. Who? What is their name? The Bible will later tell us. It's Jochebed and Amram. Jochebed and Amram. Their names are connected with the glory of God. 
They were glory seekers. These lowly serpents, these lowly slaves in Egypt. You, you would not say they were as important as Pharaoh, would you? No. Peasants. Slaves. Not even named here. Later will be named Jochebed and Amram. Of the tribe of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When she saw that little baby, she said, this is a goodly child. Look how handsome he is. That's what goodly means. He's handsome. He's a good looking boy. Handsome boy. Amen. Well favored. But it means more than that, church. What she saw as I fall on my face <laughs> is she saw the hand of God on that baby. She saw, uh, yeah, me too. She saw the hand of God is on this little boy. How did she know that? There's something in her, in her spirit. God revealed to her by perception. She perceived. There's something different about this little boy. That's what goodly means. It means this is a special child. This is a unique child. God's got His hand on this boy. That's what the word goodly means. Special. Goodly. And the Bible says, what did she do? She hid him three months. And if you look at the who's in the 11th chapter in the Heroes of Faith, the Bible says she did it by faith. Why did she hide him? By faith, because she was a man of faith. And it took a lot of courage to go against the laws of the land and to hide your baby. But she did it by what? Faith. She hit him for three months. And obviously as he gets bigger and he's growing now, there will come a time when he can no longer be hid. It's not easy to hide a baby. They crying all night. But she did it because she was a woman of courage. Three months. The Bible says she could no longer hide him. She took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. She put him in the Nile River, but she didn't drown him. She was commanded to put him in the Nile River to drown him, she put him in the Nile River, but she didn't drown him. She made a little ark, like the Ark of Noah. It's the same word that's used, like the Ark of Noah. Same word that was used for the Ark of the Covenant. Same word that was used. Amen? Jesus rose from the dead. It's all connected. Dobbed it with pitch. The Bible says, so it'd be waterproof. Slime and pitch and put that little child therein. And she laid him in the flags by the river's brink so that the little ark would not just flow downstream. 
She used the reeds or the flags to be an anchor for that little ark and that little baby's inside of that ark. She took this baby. He's not even called Moses yet. And she wrapped him very carefully. Not just in garments, but she wrapped him in her prayers and she wrapped him in the Word of God and she wrapped him in her love. She wrapped him in her faith. And she laid him in this little ark and placed him by the reeds of the Nile River so he wouldn't float away. And she told Miriam, his sister, to stand at a distance to watch to see what would happen. She's trusting God. She's doing this by faith. Verse 4, his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself. When she came down church that day, she didn't just come down there to take a bath. When, when the princess of Egypt would go to the river Nile and bathe, it was a ritual, a religious ritual that she would be going through. It would be a cleansing that would be connected to the worship of her God, which she believed was the Nile. And as she walked down into that river, that Nile, which she believed to be her God for religious ritual purification, she finds this ark. And she believes that it came from her God. How could she not believe that, it, that He didn't come from her God when she was going there to worship her God? And now here He is. Why would she even need a son? Because when you study the history outside of the Bible, you will find out that she had been married for a long time, but she was unable to have children. God in His providence behind the scenes was setting the stage for this whole event. She walked down into this place she called her God for ritual purification with no son. Which was very important if you're a part of Pharaoh's kingdom. You're a part of the palace. And the Bible says, as she went there to wash herself in the river and her maidens walked along by the riverside, when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. Just at the right moment, you know what a baby does to a woman. They, they, they hear a, it might not be their baby, but they hear a baby cry. Let me hold it. You know what I'm talking about. That's the heart of a mother. And God, by His sovereignty, as soon as she opened the basket, or the, the ark here, as soon as she did, the baby starts weeping. God chose the foolishness, foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's going to use the weak things of this world to destroy the power of Egypt. The weeping of that baby will eventually destroy the power of Egypt. God chooses the weak things. Do you understand that?
The fact that he wept at that moment did something to the heart of this princess. And from a human perspective, she needs a son. From a heavenly perspective, he's God's deliverer. Behold, the babe wept and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. How did she know that? Can you look when you have a little baby? Can you look and, and, and determine what nationality it is? Sometimes maybe, but not always. His skin's probably not a lot different in color than the skin of the Egyptians. How did she know, the princess of Egypt, how did she know when she looked at that baby that that was a Hebrew boy? He was circumcised. He was in covenant with the God of glory. Jochebed and Amram had circumcised him at eight days of age. That's how he, she knew. She said, this is the Hebrew boy. He's circumcised. Now circumcision in the New Testament is water baptism in Jesus' name. That's what puts you in covenant with God. Is water baptism in Jesus' name. Colossians 2, 8-12. through but in the Old Testament, it was physical circumcision of the foreskin. And as soon as she opened the ark and she heard that little baby cry, she looked at it. And even though it was a Hebrew baby that should be drowned, she was moved with compassion. Even though this baby was in covenant with God, she was moved with compassion. How could she not be moved with compassion? It's a weeping baby. How could she not receive him? Her God gave it to her in her mind. And just at that moment, verse 7, Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women? that she may nurse the child for thee. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go, and the maid went and called the child's mother. <laughs> I want you to think about this as I come to a close. That this woman of God, Amen? Jacobin, this woman of God, outsmarted the devil. And not only that, Sisters watching, and when the princess takes up the baby, she says, I know a Hebrew woman that can feed him. And that Hebrew woman happened to be Jochebed, Moses' mother. So not only did that Hebrew woman of God outsmart the devil, God made the devil pay the bill. <laughs> made the devil pay the bill man took that baby into that Hebrew woman which was the mother of Moses and paid her to feed him you're talking about a great God be encouraged woman of God 
God can use you to outsmart the devil. And when God gets ready to, He can make the devil pay the bill. There's no God like our God. Amen. I'll go ahead and finish the paragraph. Verse 9, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew. And she brought brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him as her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. From the human perspective, she needed a son, especially if you're the daughter of Pharaoh. From a heavenly perspective, God said, I've got to put this man this, this boy, I've got to put this man in Egyptian government like I did Joseph so that he would know all the ins and outs of the palace. Because when it comes time, I'm going to use him to deliver my people out of Egypt. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details. We just know that he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh himself. Hallelujah. The one that was trying to kill him. He grew up in that very palace. And the princess of that man became his mother by adoption. And he was trained. Are y'all with me? In the, as the book of Acts in the 7th chapter, he was trained in the ways of Egypt. He was educated with the finest education of the world it's not recorded in the scripture but Moses when you study the history of Moses you will find out he was one of the greatest military generals that the world has ever seen he would go out and fight battle after battle after battle for the Egyptian power and be victorious he's one of the greatest generals the world has ever seen and God, from heaven's perspective, was preparing him to be the deliverer for his people out of Egyptian bondage. So he had to prepare him in all these ways by placing them, him here in this location. And it was all done by faith in God. Amen. Let's stand. Well, Father God, we come before you today. We thank You, Lord, for Your sovereignty, Your providence, Your ability to intervene on Your people's behalf to help us, God, at any time in history. In times when laws are placed that support evil, You give us direction by Your Word how we are to respond to that. Lord, give us the courage and the strength to be the people of God in this hour of immorality and compromise. 
Lord, let us glorify You and honor You in what we do. And we thank You today, God, for the opportunity to put our faith in a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We thank You for the example of women of God and men of God in the Bible that responded to the decrees of the King by faith in Your Word so that You could provide a deliverer for Your people. And everybody said in Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.